Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. Trigger warning. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selena. Who am I? I am white, I am black, I am brown, and I am much, much more. I'm a Christian, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Muslim, I am Catholic, and human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do, leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. Have you ever had that moment of panic? where every part of your soul screams in fear. Your temperature is flying through the roof. There are clammy hands and a sweaty upper lip. You're struggling to catch your breath whilst your heart races out of control. And your being goes to such an express level with a multitude of emotions, it could cause your actual death. And what triggers this instantaneous reaction? The most memorable one for Anita was when her daughter was about three. She was in the supermarket when she turned her back for just one second, turned back and her daughter was gone. Anita can honestly say her soul left her body. She had never wailed like that, screaming her daughter's name at full decibel. Then, a few seconds later, and I mean a few seconds, her daughter came trundling back round the corner clutching a bag of mini baby bells that had been on display at the end of the aisle that she had spotted earlier and Anita had made her walk past. So, being a precocious little girl, she thought, OK, I'll go get them myself. And off she went. For those few moments that she was out of Anita's sight, every bit of her fell apart. And as for her daughter, Anita could see on her face that she really didn't get the drama Anita was causing. She'd only gone to get her mini baby bells. And that perfectly sums up the relationship between an LIP or an LIP victim survivor and the family court. The LIP is taken to the depths of despair with fear and the court just sits there looking perplexed. Genuinely, they don't get the problem. But at least in Anita's daughter's case, she had the emotional range of a three-year-old. What's the court's excuse? For years. Nothing ever took Anita back to that day in the supermarket, no matter how bad. Even in the beginning stages of the divorce, the post-separation abuse, the legal firm's threats. Nothing, not until this email regarding the bundle dropped into her inbox, saying that they were not going to include her documents. When I told Mr Pro Bono Barrister about Anita's bundle story, because he had asked me, Where was all this corruption I was seeing? Do you know what he said to me? Hmm, comparing a court bundle to misplacing your child seems weird. No, it doesn't. 
Mr Pro Bono Barrister was primarily an abuser's defence barrister. The pro bono work that he did for the organisation that I worked for was simply part of his firm's corporate responsibility and not him being dedicated to the cause. So naturally, misunderstanding the victim-survivor LIP and finding fault in their explanation came naturally to him. But that wasn't what Anita was doing. She was trying to explain the feelings of getting an email at the last minute, which was always rude and threatening to tell her that her documents were being left out because she had sent them incorrectly. They had needed them in hard copy and not digitally as she had sent them. They made it sound as if that was the protocol and she had not bothered doing it properly. And if Anita could provide her documents in the correct format by 9am the next morning, they could add them in. Or was it they would add them in? Yeah, very clever word could wasn't the same as would add them in. And failure to comply could be seen by a judge as contempt of court. And this sent her into panic mode because this was the one thing the judge had ordered. She couldn't be seen to be failing to comply with the judge's orders. Of course, Anita was sat on the bus on the way to pick up her kids from school, with just her phone and handbag, so it would be at least another hour before she could do anything. But in the meantime, her mind was racing. Anita had done her best to ask and research what was needed for the bundle. Nowhere, and she means nowhere, had it been said that she needed to send hard copies. How could she have got it so wrong? And they were telling her now, the afternoon before it was due to be delivered to the court. But they'd had her stuff for a while now. Why not contact her when the email was first opened? But she was in a hurry to get it done by the specified date, so maybe she didn't do all her research properly. Anita knew that this was a deliberate tactic and would eventually learn that this was quite a common stunt in the family law industry but proving it would be another matter. Anita, still sat on the bus, was trying to figure out how she was going to manage this in a short space of time, get her documents over to them in hard copy by 9am the following morning. What this law firm had started doing was bombarding her with all the correspondence on the school run when they realised that this was her most vulnerable moment, when she would not be able to do anything about it immediately but in the meantime it would cause her full panic and once she was home it would be dinner, homework, bath, bed and Anita couldn't overlook all of that because she had been warned if she didn't show the judge that she was a 100% flawless, perfect when it came to caring for her children she would be portrayed as an irresponsible parent. So she was stuck between a rock and a hard place at best, she couldn't start organising hard copies of her bundle until 10pm. But then, where would she print? She couldn't go anywhere. And if her dad wasn't home, she couldn't leave the kids on their own, asleep in bed. And then, how would she get the hard copies to the firm by 9am? Because no post office would be open. Anita got to school and immediately burst out crying, panic-stricken about the whole bundle situation. She was beside herself. She couldn't take any more. No one, nothing, no matter what circumstances deserved what they had been putting her through. Luckily, her fellow mums rallied round, gave her a big hug, mopped up her tears and set about listening to her predicament. One of the fellow mums suggested Anita and her children go to hers. She had a printer, which Anita could use, 
and the kids could have their dinner there. It was a lovely thought, but even still, there was no way Anita would get to the post office on time. So, the fellow mum friend suggested Anita's children stay at hers that night, and that way Anita could get up first thing and head into central London without worrying about the school run. Anita didn't need to think about it. How could she refuse? She had to give it a try. The next day, Anita left early and got on a train into town. As it was before 9.30am, she was paying a lot for the travel fare. But what choice did she have? Anita would often find it upsetting that she would have to think very carefully every time she spent even one pence. And there was her husband, spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of their money, their family money, on an entire legal team. Anyway, she found the law firm and handed in her paperwork. Whilst there, she tried to get a receipt to acknowledge that she had delivered it. But the best she could do was to take a photo of it held up against the company logo in the foyer with her travel card, which turned out to be quite a palaver. But thankfully the security guard helped. It was on the way home that she thought, what would have happened if she didn't live in the same town or city as the law firm? What if her fellow mum friends weren't able to help or it had been the school holidays? There was something fundamentally wrong with what had happened here. And again, through online support groups, Anita realised that this was not an uncommon strategy. Telling you about any issues last minute, hoping that it's too late in the day to fix them. And Anita also found out that she didn't need to send in hard copies. Her original method was fine. Again, a common tactic to pull on a litigant in person during their first bundle when they don't know any different. And no, that wasn't the end of it. Later that day, the bundle was delivered. And surprise, surprise, all her documents were not there. Of course, it goes without saying that despite everything, despite all the legal firm's previous behaviour, a small part of you hopes it's an oversight. That's what I thought the day I received my court bundle from the opposing legal team and all my stuff had been left out. And no, it wasn't an accident or an oversight because it hadn't even been included into the index. That's the contents page. So I knew it wasn't a mistake. It was deliberate and it totally fitted their pattern of behaviour perfectly. And it's not just me or Anita Many LIPs in the family court will tell you about their first bundle abuse and the emotional distress it puts you through. And many will also confirm that it fits an overall pattern of behaviour from the legal firm. And another thing that Anita would realise, alongside all the other realisations she was having, that the opposing legal firm always intended to leave her stuff off. So if that was the case, and they never intended to include her documents in the bundle, why the hell did they do the rest of it? Emailing her that she needed to give them hard copies. Well, I could have answered that for Anita. That was just for fun. Cruel fun, like blood sport. The one thing, to this date, I still don't understand when it comes to bundle abuse and bundle corruption. Surely this is undoubtedly a form of evidence tampering. Would this be okay if this was the police or the Crown Prosecution Service? No, it wouldn't. But in family law, hiding another party's documents for the win is industry standard behaviour and it's not seen as a bad thing. 
especially by judges they don't actually care. In fact, it's such common practice, it's not even seen as abuse or corruption. Because every firm that does it has industry immunity. No one's going to call them out, pull them up on their behaviour, rectify this and ensure that LIP's documents are put back in. Now, the legal industry will say the complete opposite. It's not common practice, it's just oversights, mistakes happen. Very Mr Pro Bono Barrister explanations. So, let me rebuff these industry claims and let's work through it. And let me tell you how this is industry standard behaviour, industry supported behaviour. Number one, the amount of litigants in person citing bundle corruption shows concern. Their stories follow a similar strategy of post-separation legal abuse on the opposing legal team's side. And, when I say many litigants in person, I mean in many different courts, in many different regions, with different solicitors' firms, in front of different judges in many different areas from Scotland to Wales to England to Northern Ireland. There are many people identifying the same issues. Number two, the myth that most family law solicitors' firms are above board. Because unless it is one law firm dealing with all the cases of all these different people in different courts, in different jurisdictions, in front of different judges, in different parts of the country, then it is not one rogue guy, one bad apple. The legal profession will sell you a stereotype that shady firms are few and far between and that it's just one guy with a broad New York accent in a smoky office on the wrong side of the tracks with a wooden door and a frosted glass window, like something out of a 1920s gangster era. And, if that was the case, how do you account for Anita? Her husband had hired a full legal team at a mid-to-top-tier firm. Who? From what I could see on their website, their staffing levels went into the hundreds. As well as family law, they covered media law, private law, commercial law, contract law, sports, media, property, you name it, everything. The company must have been earning millions upon millions of pounds. And looking at their client list, there were some well-known names there. We're talking about global conglomerates, charities, big brand names. There is no way they could have come across as shady. For any of the departments, any scandal would have been massive. And some of their clients, especially the charities, would have had to distance themselves. And then, within the firm, specifically the family department, there were two lead solicitors who were both working on Anita's case simultaneously. In addition, there was a full-time paralegal and a legal PA. Anita knew, because she'd had emails from all four of them and had documents signed by all four of them. And if Anita looked at the level of letters and dealing with responses, all four people would have been working on her case. So, it is fair to say, all four people would have had a hand in her bundle. Now, let's break this down. The legal PA would have done the legwork. That means the printing and the collating and assembling. There is no way an experienced PA would make such a mistake. Then there was the paralegal who sent her the email to say that her documents were not going to be included when Anita was on the school run. There was also a senior family law partner who, 
when Anita looked at the bundle, had signed some of the documents and therefore would have checked and signed off on the bundle. So that means so far three people had missed or didn't do their job correctly. So no, it wasn't an accident. It was unacceptable incompetence. Now, to reiterate, they are a family law firm, a mid-to-top-tier firm who deals with divorces day in, day out. A bundle would not have been a now-and-again task. Then, back to the legal PA. If she was doing the legwork to compile the bundle, she would have told the paralegal or one of the partners that she couldn't possibly print any of Anita's documents from the emails. No, she needed hard copies where she would have had to engage in the more time-consuming task of photocopying each sheet. Surely the paralegal who sent the email, once consulting one of the senior family law partners, should have and would have discovered that printing from an email was fine. OK then, once they received the hard copies, the final bundle was completed. So who did the last-minute checks? Who oversaw it? Who signed it off? It would have had to have been a senior member of staff because there were documents in there that were signed by senior members of staff. So no, it wasn't a simple oversight. Either a whole department was complicit in corruption or a whole department failed to show due diligence. One way or another, the legal firm are not fit for purpose. And if it wasn't a mistake and it was a deliberate tactic, no one, not one person said, hang on, this is wrong. Not the legal PA, the paralegal, two senior partners. A whole department at a mid to top tier law firm would have been involved or complicit. But there's something else. When Anita did inform them, if it was a simple mistake, they should have rectified it. They should have done the equivalent of, we've made a mistake, we need to fix this because they wouldn't want to embarrass themselves in front of the court, look dodgy in front of a barrister, maintain professional reputation, unless none of these things matter, because it is seen as industry standard. Number three. It's not just the amount of people that are citing bundle abuse and bundle corruption. It's the number of times it happens per case. So, bundle corruption may happen for one hearing, but then it happens again for the second and the third and the fourth. And each time, more than one person would have been party to compiling that bundle. And each time they are informed by the LIP that stuff is missing and nothing is done. I had 11 hearings and 11 out of 11, I had been subjected to bundle abuse and bundle corruption. Now that is a 100% corruption rate. So the legal PA and the paralegal in my case, must have been the most incompetent staff members ever. What will it take before our judiciary and our government start taking bundle abuse and bundle corruption as seriously as evidence tampering? And if you're thinking, well, why don't you complain to the solicitor's regulatory body? They're the people who keep all the solicitor's firms in check. Well, everyone does. But I'll get to that later when I speak about the joke that is the solicitor's regulatory body. But in the next episode, I'm going to continue with industry standard bundle abuse.
Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.IamLIP.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real-life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.